This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 124. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I'm so glad you're here. And if you were here last week, you heard the two episodes that I had come out. I mentioned that my father passed away recently. Therefore, I am over the course of the next few weeks going to rebroadcast some older episodes that you may have missed. Some of my very favorite conversations from the podcast are coming back at you while I regroup and go through some of the stuff that we go through when a loved one passes away. So hopefully it'll just be a handful of episodes that I'm rebroadcasting and I have some really great guests coming up. Susan Anderson wrote a book on abandonment issues, so I'm sure that's going to be a great conversation for me to have over here. (laughs) There's a reason they call it daddy issues, right? She's going to come on and then my good friend Jenny Blake wrote a book. She's going to be on the podcast, Rachel Maddox, who writes about sexuality. I'm really excited for the episodes that are coming up, but I just, I need a minute to, again, just to kind of catch my breath after this really devastating thing happened to me. So like I mentioned last week, I am going to come around in the next, I don't know, I don't know when, in the next couple of months and tell all of you the story about what happened and you know all of the great things that I've learned from my father. He was 80 years old. He had just turned 80 in July. He had a birthday. So he lived a long great life. And he was a really great dad. I was lucky. I was very lucky to be his daughter. And I think that that's all I have for you. Randy Buckley is here. She is such a great person to have for you to listen to. She talks about boundaries because who doesn't need help around boundaries? I'm always telling you guys to go back and listen to Randy's episode. So if you haven't heard it, you're in for a treat. If you have already heard it, it's a great one to hear again. So I really hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed having her on the podcast. And so without further ado, here is Randy Buckley. Hey, Ask Kickers, excited to bring you today's guest. I love talking to this woman because she is all about boundaries which who doesn't need help with that? So let me introduce her real quick. Randy Buckley has been described by those closest to her as equal parts Pema Chodron, Sophia Loren, and Clint Eastwood with a splash of George Carlin. She's a life coach, hard truth talker, love that, and the creator of products that encourage women to begin to step into their truths and begin transforming their inner and interpersonal struggles. She is the mama to the lovely Maybe Baby program. So without further ado, here is Randy. Hey there, ass kickers. Randy Buckley. You guys already heard about her. I'm very excited to get started today. I was telling Randy before we started recording that I have never talked about boundaries with y'all before. So I'm excited to have somebody who's the expert of all experts, right, Randy? Sure. I like that. (laughs) Capital E. Capital E. Yeah. Okay. So let's jump in. And I'm just ecstatic to get started on this because I'm sure I am going to learn about this too. I think we're all sort of in process here. And 
excited to learn more about boundaries. So let's actually start from the beginning. Let's go for it. As boundaries, I mean, it's like a big self-help word, you know, it gets thrown around a lot there in the personal development world. And so it might be new to many of my listeners. So can you take us from the beginning and talk to us like what boundaries really are, as well as let us know when someone would know if they need to work on them? Oh, that's a really good question. Okay. So my take on boundaries is actually a little bit different than I have found the conventional take. And that is primarily because I identify with kind people. (laughs) And even those who aren't necessarily kind. Well, my audience is total assholes, so we should probably just start. (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) They're nice. Ass kickers actually need boundaries uh, (laughs) so that they can continue to kick ass. So that's really good to have. No, my my listeners are um, kind people. Good. Yes, absolutely. Boundaries are largely about what you're told to keep out of your life. The people who don't fit in, keep them out. The things you don't want to do, keep out. Well, that's really hard in practice to have all sorts of things out of your life that are regular parts of your life. And so I believe that boundaries are a container for all the things you want to have in your life. Okay. And so as opposed to this view of keeping things out, it's about really cultivating, kind of doing some personal interior design on what you want to have in and the structure for that. Hmm. Okay. And so that looks different in different contexts. For me, that's really kind of the bottom line of what that is. When it comes to talking about people, I think boundaries, having our personal boundaries essentially becomes a owner's manual that we offer other people. (laughs) <laughs> to get the best version of us. Mm-hmm. So that really then gives people permission to assert your boundaries and well, to even have any at all. So mm-hmm. people just really don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really, yeah. really tough. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that would mean to answer the second part of my question that everybody needs help with boundaries. <laughs> everybody needs boundaries. Yeah. Everybody needs boundaries. We all have different degrees of what we're good at with them. Often when people assert their boundaries, they don't know what to do or say. Yes. So they become somebody they don't want to be. And then they feel bad about that. Absolutely. And I yeah. think it actually reminds me of, I do a lot of the work from the research of Dr. Brene Brown and I'm, I'm certified in her work. And mm-hmm. one of the things that is in that process, it's called the daring way. And mm-hmm. she refers to the whole thing is wrapped in metaphor, which is Sure. So easy for people to understand, for everyone to understand. Mm-hmm. One of the things that she, I'll give you an example. One of the things that we learn in there is that when we have been shamed by someone, so if someone, we feel shame for whatever reason, whether someone does it on purpose or on accident, mm-hmm. that she calls them shame shields. And we yeah. bring out one of these shame shields and it might either be we move against shame and that's really like fighting shame with shame, throwing shame back at somebody. So if somebody, for, I'll give you an example. This actually happened to a client of mine. She was hosting her toddler daughter's birthday party and forgot something big, like the birthday cake or something like that, completely spaced it to pick it up or something. And her own mother said, what kind of mother are you in like front of everybody? And so she could have, and this is actually probably what I would have done is uh-huh. thrown something back at her. Like, well, like in front of everyone, well, let's not talk about how, what a great mom you were when I was growing up right, or, right. you know, another shield <laughs> is to people please. And mm-hmm. then the other shield would be to completely isolate and, you know, move away and not talk to anybody. That's what came up for me when you were talking about figuring out, like, how to... Am I on the right track or am I just, like, making it's stuff up? Great. No yeah, sense. no, absolutely. <laughs> 
It's a great, and that was actually a really great example. <laughs> so what came up too was like my people, I think it depends on, on, you know, who's listening. And I think that kind people is what you were saying is a lot of us tend to people please. And I think you're very right in saying it depends on the context. It depends on yes. who they're around. Sure. So I would say that that's like probably good to know, like what your triggers are and who they are. It's huge. Since I've been working with lots of people around boundaries and doing research, but then also really kind of figuring out how this works for me, what I have come to believe is that we sometimes struggle with boundaries ultimately because we don't want to risk somebody not loving us. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the, the example of the mom making the oh so charming remark about the birthday cake, mm-hmm. you know, it would be easy to, I like how you said, throw shame because it sounds like throw shade. Monkey <laughs> that, shit. <laughs> right, exactly. Or not risk somebody not liking us and doing nothing and letting them just walk on it and walk all over you and mm-hmm. walk in the situation and take it. And it doesn't mean necessarily that the person, on, you know, we might sit next to on the bus who decides to sit with his legs wide open and we only have three quarters of a seat, you know, that we're worried about him not loving us. But going back to some of those earlier childhood, primal, younger instincts of wanting to be cared for, wanting to be loved. So I think whenever we feel like we're asserting boundaries, we risk that to some degree. And that's at risk if we say anything. So for a lot of people, instead of saying anything, they will just do nothing. Mm -hmm. I think too, I mean, well, do you think that people look at setting boundaries and I think this is sort of what you were pointing to in the beginning I might just be articulating it differently is that setting boundaries is having a fierce throwdown with whomever and and making them wrong for whatever they're saying whatever they're doing however they're behaving and so that seems like that's not the case that is not (laughs) what boundaries are about Mm-hmm. They don't have to be. I mean, okay. I think for some people, if they particularly, if for some people that's personality, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't feel like they have the words or know how to handle a situation. And so that sometimes a pendulum, they think they have to do what they've seen. Okay. And for a lot of people, uh, they feel like what they've seen is somebody be a real asshole uh-huh. with asserting boundaries or really shame other people. And they just don't want to do that because that type of boundary does not feel kind. And for somebody who really identifies with kind or sensitive, that's going to be really tricky to do something that doesn't feel kind or sensitive. You'd much rather suck it up. I find that a lot of people really love having sort of like a script or <laughs> template to Absolutely. follow. Do you provide that in your classes and for the people that you work with? I do. I call it a cocktail line. Can you give us some examples? Sure. So when I was actually, I have a program called Maybe Baby, which mm-hmm. is women Which I heard are- is fabulous, by the way. Oh, good. That's for women who are ambivalent about motherhood. That was really based on my journey. This is related. And I got so tired of people asking me when I was going to have a child at this point where I did not think that was in, in the cards for me. I did not want to do that. I was so tired from it. I decided to come up with what I call a cocktail line. And that was a preset thing I could say in the moment that would allow me to be present and not have to scramble for something to say so that I could go into a situation confidently and know I had something I could go to. And my thing used to be, oh, I'd much rather be the rich eccentric aunt. (laughs) Just something that was for me, a little humor was what needed to be. So it it needs to be reflective of who you are, but it really stopped that conversation and set a really clear boundary that, no, we're not going there. Now, if I wanted to go further into conversation, that was always my choice, but I work with people to script their own cocktail line so that it is reflective of their own truth. Mm -hmm. And that is something they would feel comfortable saying. 
And this has saved so many people. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> in many different contexts, because suddenly you have confidence. You have a lot of people are resistant to doing this because they want to be in the moment. And my idea was this will keep you in the moment because you're not suddenly scrambling or freaking out because you don't know what to say or how to handle the situation. You have a pre-scripted thing you can go to verbally to feel safe mm-hmm. and feel confident. And if you want to go beyond that, you absolutely can. So scripts are brilliant. Scripts are great. Yes, yeah. I love them. And you guys, if you want any of the links that we're talking about here to Maybe Baby and Randy's programs, if you go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash five two, they'll all be there. And I'm actually really curious, Randy, about how you got where you are today being good at boundaries. So was there like a pivotal event that you had to look at your life and how boundary setting was needed? Or did you just come out of the womb being great at setting boundaries? <laughs> you know what? I came out of the womb that way. <laughs> yeah, but it was pictured that way. So my parents, I credit them for a lot. My dad was raised by a Navy SEAL. And and my mom has her own special magic <laughs> of being an incredible person and very diplomatic. I started off as a super diplomatic kid when adults were having heated conversations or something. I could step in and figure it all out. But what I really learned from watching my parents, and I think in particular my dad, was he didn't have to say much mm-hmm. in terms of boundaries. And people got it. And because of that, he could be a really nice guy. <laughs> he could be himself. And that was really a certain energy that he carried about himself. It was really clear. And if it wasn't clear what was or wasn't okay, he could articulate that pretty quickly. And sometimes, you know, he may have gone to the asshole end of the... Mm-hmm. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we can't help it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll do. But by and large, he was wildly effective at it. And so I saw that. And I think that mixed with a lot of diplomacy and really being able to feel a situation became fairly easy. And probably the other aspect is I moved around a lot because he was in the Navy. So I was constantly in new places having to let people know who I was. And the boundaries became a way as opposed to, like I said in the beginning, keeping things out. But it came a way of really building my world. Hmm. This is what I'm about. These are the type of people I want to be too. So I don't have this awesome story about, oh, it was this and everything switched. But I know for a lot of people that is the case. And sometimes there is a pivotal moment when it all turns around, for sure. Yeah, when you draw the line in the sand and say, like, I can't I can't take this anymore, for sure. Yes. Yeah. And it's for you guys listening, it doesn't I've written about this before. Like it doesn't matter if you have a rock bottom story or, you know, like a, a life changing event, but it just is wherever I just I believe that everybody has their own kind of pain tolerance for suffering in their life and it looks different for everyone and it might be like different areas of your life like you can tolerate a lot of pain in relationships or not or your job or you know the relationship with your parents or, or whatever it is and you're never wrong for where you are you just are different I love that <laughs> yeah absolutely different. absolutely so your path is going to look like your path and right. not like somebody else's. Exactly. And I just think that some people aren't ready. Like they're not ready to set that boundary with so-and-so. Like they have to go through a certain mm-hmm. amount of stuff before they get to that place. Yes. I, I think that's definitely the case for a lot of people. Yeah. I'm curious too about, let me give you an example might be better. So sure. I make up that people that set or need to set boundaries like with their parents Mm-hmm. That looks vastly different than if they need to set boundaries at work. So given the example of parents, how much of it do you think is like, do the people really need to work on the kind of background family of origin stuff? Or do they even at all before they set the boundary? What do you think? I think you can start anywhere. Okay. 
in any aspect. And I do think that those will probably look a lot different and very different, you know, depending on your history and what your personal needs are. One thing I often do, just tangential to your question, but I think it's relevant. I guess that was just an oxymoron there. But uh, <laughs> I didn't ask it very well. It made total no, no. sense in my mind. <laughs> Beauty and paradox. That's usually where the truth resides anyway. So I often ask people to redefine what boundaries mean based from what they thought they meant prior to coming to the work mm -hmm. and replace boundaries with a word that feels better. So sometimes that word is respect. Mm. And all of a sudden it's palatable. Respect is usually a good one, but some, something of high value that's important to them. And once they switch that word, that really changes things because ultimately the boundary is a container for all those values, which I'll get to in just a second. But I don't think you have to necessarily start with family of origin stuff. In fact, I think <laughs> I actually have written a lot about wanting to figure out our own pathology before moving forward. And sometimes moving forward is how we figure out our pathology of why something is. Okay, that's is. totally my story. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Well, you are a very... I unlikely. believe you. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's So sometimes it's so tempting to look backwards and figure it out. But I really think that any sort of personal development work can be a lot like a spider web or... I studied in <laughs> I'm trying to say it's a kind of a mess. <laughs> like a beautiful mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a but beautiful if you pull mess. on one part of the spider web, <laughs> every aspect of it moves. Yes. I hear you. So it's, yeah, it's all connected. And so just like in body work, if there's one part of the body where the fascia is really bound up or there's a knot or something, if you work on that, everything else, even if it's in your shoulder, everything else, even in your toes will be affected by that. So I think we sometimes trick ourselves in believing we have to start at the beginning. <laughs> mm -hmm. You can just start. And that is what changes things. I love that you said that. And I've actually, I don't even think I've ever mentioned that here on the podcast. And, and that is exactly what happened to me because, and I think it's the case with a lot of people too. It's like, they're like, well, I'm going to start with therapy and then figure all that out. And then, you know, 20 years later, they're still in it and sort of like over identifying with everything in there. And it does not have to be the case. I've been through a lot of personal development work and will be for the rest of my life. And I mean, even just recently, like I'm going through stuff and then it, it is like matching up to something that happened 20 years ago. And I'm like, oh shit, that's why that's happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now I'm such a junkie. Like I get excited. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited to go talk to my therapist about this and like, and work on this and process it. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Well, you mentioned something about value. So what's the connection there? So when I start talking to people about conceptualizing boundaries, because usually it just feels like, you know, can't see the forest from the trees. If you're feeling confused about this, it's wildly confusing. So I start off with, and you were talking about how metaphors are so great. We use a lot of metaphors. And the first one is boundaries are like a garden. Mm -hmm. So I have people in terms of beginning talking about a garden, picture themselves in the middle of a garden and that you have concentric circles going out from you. So maybe you have, you're in the middle of a six layer garden. First of all, each layer is different. You have to tend to each layer and you get to decide what you want each layer to be and feel like. Because again, if this is a container, you get to design that. So on the outermost perimeter of the garden, I ask people to set their bottom line. And the bottom line is the thing where, you know, it's the literal line in the sand. <laughs> You're mm -hmm. just for. People who don't meet the requirement of your bottom line don't come into your garden. You might go to the garden gate to interact with them, but they don't come in. That's the largest perimeter. In the very middle, then you have you. That's one layer. The next circle out is maybe your most intimate circle. Mm -hmm. And then it, mm -hmm. it keeps going for there. Some people have three layers. Some people have 30. It just really depends on what you want. But I ask people then to figure out or list values or characteristics that are really important to them that really, you know, that their heart beats for. And for a lot of people, it's respect is always a big one. Integrity, truth, mm -hmm. 
beauty, work with a lot of artists for whom beauty is really important. One woman, I love this, she said femininity was of high value for her. So what all these values are, and you and I, we're both CTI kids, Mm -hmm. so we've done a lot of value work. CTI is the Coaches Training Institute for anybody that doesn't know what that is. It's It's our coaching training alma mater. Yes. Very good. Thank you. And so there's a lot of values worth there. And that's why this is just so lovely to fill it in. So for each layer, I ask them for the value that's top most important to you. That goes on the inside around you. And then the next layer is that value. And then the next layer working out is your third value and so forth, however long, however deep you want to go. And then again, the perimeter is the bottom line. So you live your life from the middle. Mm-hmm. So the people who can meet your bottom line, they get to come into the garden. Okay. And they get to go into this outer layer. Let's say this outer layer is beauty. Mm-hmm. So if they bring beauty to your life, there's something in the relationship with them that brings beauty. However, you want to frame this question, and usually from multiple questions looking at it, they get to go in that layer because they meet the condition. Then, mm-hmm. if they meet the condition of the next layer, they can come there. So it's not mean to keep people out, so to speak. It's just you work from the middle and go out to that layer to interact with them. And how you interact with them is based on what that layer is. So if that layer is integrity, it's probably an outer layer for a lot of people, but if it's an integrity piece, you know that you can ask, what would integrity do? Mm -hmm. That becomes the basis for your interaction on what to do, how to say it, what to say. If one of your values is truth, Okay, so what would truth do? What would femininity do? Beauty, all those things. And so to me, that's how values then create the landscape for boundaries. I love that. Yeah, thanks. And in that garden, you're constantly having to weed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you keep the bugs out. (laughs) Yeah, if if there's a bullshit situation in your life, things did not go well, great. Fertilizer. Right. So, you know, it's a great metaphor. I love that. Keeping the bugs out. You might have some it beneficial is. insects. <laughs> right. <laughs> biodiversity there. But that can always change. And then going back to your example about parents versus work, for example, I've had times in people in my life where they needed their own separate garden. Huh. And so we have a little plot off to the side. Like my sister, there was a period of her life, I've talked a lot about this, that I was so frustrated with how it was going. And I was such an overprotective big sister. And I still wanted to help her. But me sharing my frustration with her was not going to help her at all. (laughs) So I had to create a different garden, a different framework for how I was going to be with her during that time so that I could ultimately fulfill the value of wanting to help her. And show up for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She got her own special garden for a while. And Hmm. that's I met her in that space. I love that. Yeah, and often with tricky parental issues, particularly, I find a lot of people I work with have, not all by any means, but many have dealt with narcissistic parents, Mm -hmm. particularly moms. And sometimes as they're working on boundaries, they have to have a special little plot (laughs) for their mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's absolutely fine. I love that. I've never heard it explained that way. And it's so easy to understand. And thanks. I made it up. I'm glad <laughs> you're brilliant. See, I told you guys she was the expert of the experts. <laughs> well, and it made me think of, of a few things. And one of them is that, well, of course, I was like sort of going through my own mind of the people that I have, you know, in my perimeter, like, you know, right near me. And 
I think that the reason that they're there, and I, I talk to my people all the time about this, like, who are the key players in your life? And I don't say it as eloquently as Randy does, but like my favorite quote that I made up is, if you surround yourself with assholes, you're in for a shitty life. And I think that like, it's, it's like pretty obvious, but I think that there are some people that we let into our garden where we let them get away with things and we make excuses for them and they're screwing up our garden, you know? <laughs> They're not allowing us to, I think, and this is also what I make up about your story too, is that, and I actually I credit Amy Smith, my best friend, she says this about values and, and people in our lives is that it's not that they need to totally and completely be on board with your values, but they need right. to not make you wrong for them. That's perfect. They have to be able to respect Support that. Yeah. She gives a great example of one of her values is is adornment. Like she loves to decorate herself with makeup and jewelry and like her style and everything like that. And her husband would tease her for it. Like when they were first together, it's like, do you really need so many pairs of shoes? And finally she came to him and said, this is who I am. And this is like one of my values that I love. And it's part of my creativity. And I don't need you to think it's awesome, (laughs) but I need you to not make me wrong for it. I love that. No wonder she's your best friend. I know. I swear that woman is like, she's taught me so much about just communication, you know, how to, because I'd be like, no, screw you. Don't talk to me like that. Yeah, that would be a pretty tough one, but I agree with her 100%. That's a really beautiful way of of saying it. For me, it's, it's that same thing. You don't have to agree with it, but you need to be able to respect it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's actually a boundary in and of itself for me, for people. Yes. Well, and you know, for anyone listening, I think that if you've never done any values work, that's a great place to start. Even before you start thinking about where you, with whom you need to set boundaries with is like, what are the things that are most important to you? And if you have my book, it's chapter four, talk about values. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And it's just, I think that we just go through life. Like I didn't even know about values until I went into training with the coaches training Institute. I was like, what are, what are, what are these things? (laughs) Well, it's also a word I think is really co-opted by politics and religion because they have their own meaning of that, their own definition and context for that. And the way we're often looking at it is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good stuff. And it's really, you know, values can become your North Star. If you're not sure what to do in a situation, think about what you want in the situation. Is it kindness? Okay, then what would kindness do? Mm-hmm. Use that as your path. Oh, yeah, that is great too. I I love talking about self-help, Randy. <laughs> You should have a podcast. I should. So smart. (laughs) Thanks for the idea. Well, because my top value is courage. And Mm. I think that, um, I think it is for a lot of people. And I think they probably don't realize it because I think it's really hard to implement our our values and boundaries without courage. (laughs) So I often ask myself that. I mean, I just got faced recently with like having a hard conversation with my husband that was so important because like I was super attached to how he would receive it, what I needed to tell him. Mm-hmm. And you can't control that. You know, I know that. And so I'm just like, right. you know, so what I do is I tell on myself is like, I tell my best friend, I'm like, I have to have this conversation with my husband and I don't want to. So because <laughs> I know yeah. she won't, you know, she won't let me off the hook. And, and it was courage. Like I had to call on courage and that was my North star. And I, I'm happy to report that the conversation went really well and he received it really well. But I, I love that thinking about your values as your North star. Yeah. And I, I, like, I really like that yours is courage because not because of the etymology of the word, but it speaks to so much of who you are. I mean, cur in French being heart. Mm-hmm. Coming from the heart is not only courageous, it is the way of courage. So 
Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, and kind of switching gears is sure. uh, another topic that you talk about pretty recently on your blog was the notion of not being fearless. And this is a yeah. topic I've also been practicing and preaching about because I get asked sometimes, how did you get so fearless? And I'm like, right. I am not. And whoever told you that's a big cat liar. <laughs> so I always tell them that I haven't gotten there and never will. But my favorite quote that you said is you said, what a shame to not feel fear. It's such a beautiful barometer of ourselves, biology psychology and edges. I would never want to surrender one of my emotions and cut myself off from the fuller spectrum of knowing, understanding, and wisdom. So I would just love to hear, like, what do you use fear for? Mm, yeah. Just a fear, little tiny question I yeah, asked fear, you. Yeah, just <laughs> fear, it gives me information. Mm-hmm. It gives me a whole lot of information. Sometimes it's very intuitive. Sometimes it's just information I need to get. Fear tells me what I, kind of what my subconscious is trying to look out for. Mm-hmm. So if I make up a crazy example right here. So if I'm really afraid of or don't want to do any public speaking or something, I can look at why. Well, my subconscious, maybe it comes up even through self-sabotage, is trying to prevent me from what? From making an ass of myself. So that lets me know that, okay, I can do what I need to do to not make an ass of myself, prepare so that my fear can be quieted down and I can thank it. Um, and do that. You know, and going back to my dad, this is so much how I was raised. I can tell you, Navy SEALs, they get scared. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> they experience fear, but they use it as a tool. They use it as a barometer of the situation. They use it as information. And so that's what I try to do. And to me, that would be to be fearless would be, first of all, cutting off a part of who we are, right? which I don't think serves at all. But it's one of your internal compasses. And the idea is to not let fear call all the shots, but look at it as an advisor on your board, you know, part of your advisory board and see what it's trying to tell you and then see if you can meet the conditions so it can chill out. Or is it just full of crap Uh at that particular time? But you then get to discern what that is as opposed to just letting it commandeer the steering wheel and taking over. I love that. And I was just thinking of that same metaphor of like being in the car. Like the one that popped into my mind was like driving a bus, like a school bus. And, you know, school buses are notoriously rowdy. (laughs) And it's like you got fear back there and joy and anxiety and um, gratitude, like all these different feelings back there. And like every once in a while, like one of them like comes up to the front seat or like tries to cause a ruckus or like mess with the other ones. And, you know, it's just like, (laughs) what if you I'm being such a coach right now? What if you, as the bus driver, you know, turned around and said, like, hey, what do you have to say? Do you want to say that to the rest of the class? Or, well, I love know? that. That's really good. Cool. But That's most great. people let fear, like, come up into the driver's seat, and then you go back there. Well, it's, yeah, it's so strong energetically that we somehow think it's bigger than us, whereas mm-hmm. it's just one of the kids on the bus. And I love that. Are you passing notes? Oh. This is probably from our childhoods before right. people were texting each other. We passed notes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes if you got caught with that, you'd have to read it. That's really funny, Andrea. <laughs> I really like that. But, but so call them out. You say, okay, so what's this about? What information can you ascertain from it? Is it relevant? And then move forward. Thank mm-hmm. it for its service. And it's like maybe somebody at the Thanksgiving table that you really don't want to hear from, but actually <laughs> they're completely opposite politics from you story at the end there is a nugget of wisdom right or you can yeah. like yeah you can get something out of it even though you're not changing your mind to exactly. be on their side <laughs> right so if we just treat it as part of one of the kids on the bus or part of our advisory board and you just don't suddenly make it president or abdicate responsibility yeah. to it you're great 
Good. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love that. And I'm, I'm glad I asked you that question about fear because it's it's one of my actually it's one of my pet peeves. Like even now, I kind of get like a little bit of a physical reaction when I see yeah, somebody else talking about like, I want to be fearless. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> well, and I'm, what worries me is that it's becoming like the new perfectionism. You know, it's like, oh, we don't want to be perfect, but we'll be fearless. And I'm like, no, that's the same thing. <laughs> Right. That's really true. I actually go back to my boundaries of compassion when I <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. They're in a different place in their journey. Yes. I want to ask you one more question about boundaries. And sure. I'm just really curious, like, what is probably the most common boundary seeking kind of circumstance that you see in the work that you do that you help people kind of figure out and, and place the boundary around? People who... I have a quick answer for this because it's so prevalent. Boundaries on people who are asking things of other people and just kind of assume that they will help. Oh, okay. So, oh, this person always brings the birthday cake. So just assuming they'll bring the birthday cake without <gasps> asking if they want to bring it. Or I never help the client out in this situation, but I'm going to keep asking things of them, asking things of them, asking things of them. And this person either feels like they can't say no, they don't know how to say no, they're so trained not to say no. Or if they do, the other person suddenly... If they do say no, the other person is like, what? Mm -hmm. You know, pushback really comes from somebody not knowing where they fit in your life anymore or not knowing how things are working. And it's usually quite temporary, but then they feel like they screwed up because now this person's mad and they just get, you know, oh, it's just easier to keep going and doing something for this person that either does not serve you, does not serve your values or it's just something you just really don't want to do. That's probably the top thing. So you guys, you're not alone. I bet there's people listening right now going, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty common. It's so, really okay, common. so well, that's a great segue. So tell people where can people, I know you teach boundaries for kind people. Healthy boundaries for oh, kind thank people. Thank you, healthy boundaries for kind people. And tell us about it and how people can find you. RandyBuckley.com, which you kindly said you had the link to. So mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. It's with an I. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful. And it's again, it's yourkickasslife.com forward slash five two to get the links to Maybe Baby and Healthy Boundaries for Kind People and over to Randy's website. And again, thank you, Randy. I hope this was fun for you talking about Super fun. Thank you. Talking about shit that matters. That's what I like to say. That's <laughs> the only thing I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you for being here and tuning in. I will see you in cyberspace. Bye bye. Bye.